Well, it's me again. Tonight we're talking about wherever. We talked not too long ago about that passage in the book of Ruth. You remember where Ruth says to her mother-in-law and in the King James, wherever thou goest, I shall go, which means wherever you go, that's where I'm going to be. And how important that passage is when you think about it as far as in a husband and wife situation, but when we follow Jesus. And tonight we're not talking about marriage, we're not talking about Ruth. We're talking about that relationship with Jesus of what it means to be a disciple, of what it means to follow Jesus and truly call him Lord. This is something that goes way past a recreational faith. It goes past a traditional faith. It goes past a family faith. This is a one-on-one -on -one serious following of Jesus to be a disciple. So in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 9, in verses 57 through 58, Luke records this. He says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I can remember that passage as a kid, and I thought about the, about the foxes, and I thought about the bird nest, and thought, well, what in the world does that mean? And Jesus doesn't have a pillow because he doesn't have a place to lay his head, and what does all that mean? It was really kind of confusing to me. So what does it mean? And this is it. He doesn't want us to be following merely out of selfish expectation. Now, sometimes when we become a Christian, it's because we think, hey, we're going to get something for that. You know, the get-rich-quick gospel, you know, that sometimes you've heard preached about or you have heard it preached and maybe you've even followed it. That idea that if I come to Christ, then somehow I'm going to be rich. I can remember being at a church one time, one night, just as a visitor, maybe it was a Thursday night or something, and that's basically what they said. If you give the Lord $1,000, God is going to give you a car tonight. It was interesting because it, this was in Latin America, and I was the church building didn't even have a parking lot. So if God would have given you a car, you couldn't have driven it to church because there was nowhere to park. But it was that idea of people were saying, oh, I want to give because I want a car. This is the best place to find one. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, I want you to come to me without great expectation. There was also something that went on back about 75 years ago or so among churches of Christ as well as among other groups, and it was called in missions Rice Christians. And he said, well, what does that mean? They would say, if you give your life to Christ, if you're baptized into Jesus, then we will give you rations of rice for a month. Well, that doesn't make any sense either, right? We were trying to do the right thing and help people, but Sometimes people weren't convicted to Jesus. They were convicted to food and eating tomorrow. And so what he's saying here is that I want you to come to me because you believe in me, not because of what you're going to get from me. Now, the promises are great. But he says, I want you to come because you're truly a disciple, not because you think you're going to get a nice house or a nice car or whatever it may be. And he goes on in Luke 9 in verses 59 through 62. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord. 
But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Well, these are some tough teachings. I mean, after all, isn't Jesus trying to get people to follow him? You know, sometimes we want to do whatever it is to get people in the door, right? We'll do whatever it is. Not really, but some will, and some are accused of that. And Jesus is saying, if you are not serious, I don't want you. I do want you to be serious, and I do want you, but I want you to be serious. And so sometimes it's hard for us because we live in such a casual society where it is easy to follow Jesus. It is easy to say you're a Christian. Matter of fact, now you don't even have to drive to church, right? All you have to do is say, okay, well, I turn it on at 6 o'clock in the evening or 10.30 in the morning, and I'm a Christian, right? But you know it's more than that, too. So I want you to understand this passage. When he says, Lord, first let me go bury the dead, and Jesus says, no. He says, let the dead bury the dead. What does Jesus mean? Well, this is a phrase that was used in the first century in the Middle East. It's different than the way we would say it today. This was a phrase that was used. It doesn't even mean that his father was necessarily sick. But according to the tradition and according to what was going on in the Middle East at the time, you would remain loyal to your father and his faith and to him as long as he was alive. Then after he died, you would give your father's memory another year. So he says, you know, maybe my dad will live another five years or 10 or 20 or 30. And then after that, I have one more year. And then I'll follow you, Lord. Then I'll do it. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I want. That's not what I'm saying. You've come, come follow me. And this other man who says, you know, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family, and then I'll show up. Well, that doesn't make sense either, because you see, this man wasn't leaving immediately. And the call of Jesus is immediate. The call of Jesus is, I'm not going to make plans to follow you later. It's that I will follow you today. You see, there's a big difference in that. Both men were delaying following Jesus. Now, if they got serious about it later, obviously Jesus would take them. But he said, I don't want you to delay. This is kind of similar to the way the software update is sometimes on your computer. You know, every once in a while on my computer, that software update will come on and, and I'll click not now and it will say, do you want us to remind you in an hour or tonight or tomorrow? And I'll say tonight. Do you know why I say tonight? Because I'm going to turn my computer off and go home and not have to worry about it. And then whenever I come back the next day, it's going to say, hey, you need to work on your, your software update. Finally, I'll get around to it. But it's almost like that. Hey, someday, Lord, I will follow you. Hey, someday, Lord, let's have lunch. But never any specifics to that. Basically, what they're saying is, I will leave when my father dies. I will leave when I'm older. What some of us would say is, I will follow you, Lord, when I sow my wild oats. I will follow you, Lord, after I get a job. I will follow you after I get married. I will follow you after I have kids. I will follow you after my kids are in high school. I will follow you, follow you, follow you. And we push it and push it and push it. And Jesus says, you're not serious about your faith. Jesus says, now. 
To be a true disciple of Jesus, it is about starting right now. I will follow you. I will do what you want. You are my Lord. When someone is your Lord, you're not making up the rules. When someone's your Lord, you're not the one who is, who's giving the conditions as to how you're going to follow. When someone's your Lord, you're saying, what do you want me to do? And I'll do that. Because you see, that's what Jesus is saying to both of these men. Follow me now. Now there's another interesting passage or interesting phrase that was in that passage about the hand to the plow. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's kind of an odd phrase, isn't it? It's a phrase, obviously, that had a lot of plows in those days. <clears throat> but it's more than that. It goes back to 1 Kings chapter 19, whenever Elijah called Elisha. And it's interesting what Elijah, what Elisha says to Elijah and then what his response is. In 1 Kings 19, it says, So Elijah went out from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. You hear that phrase? Go back, Elijah said, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and he went back and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now this is a really neat thing that Elisha does. He says he's out there working and he says, yes, I'll follow, but first I want to say goodbye to my parents and then I'll make the sacrifice and then I'll follow. And he goes with him. I want you to understand what is being said here. Jesus is more demanding than Elijah. He's more demanding than when Elijah calls Elisha to be the next great prophet. What Jesus is saying is, now, drop it all and follow me now. Does that mean I quit my job? Probably not. Unless you're doing something of ill repute or whatever it may be, then yes. But what it means to follow Jesus is I follow Jesus right now what is it you want me to do who is it you want me to be everything i have you own and everything i have is to your glory there is no this 10 percent is yours and 90 percent is mine there is no 90 percent is mine and 10 percent is yours 100 percent is yours there are i want you to hear this next part there are promises in jesus but they should not be my main motivation when I was in high school, a friend of mine, a member of the Church of Christ, we were friends in the youth group, did lots of things together. And in my little town of 2,500 people, sometimes we would go and, and to our teachers' houses at night. We'd just go knock on the door. We wouldn't call. We'd just go, and they'd invite us in, and we'd sit on the couch, and we'd talk and, and drink Dr. Peppers and, and have a great time. It was a great way to grow up. But I remember one night talking to one of my teachers. I guess they're not professors and they're teachers talking to one of my teachers, and he asked my friend and me, but asked my friend first. He said, so why are you a Christian? And my friend said, because I don't want to go to hell. And he said, that's why you're a Christian? He goes, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. And at the time, I thought, that's a pretty good answer. It felt a little bit funny, but it sounds like a good answer, and probably some of you, when I just said this, 
you probably thought, that's a great answer. It's not a bad answer. Don't misunderstand me. Some of you probably worded it in the positive, so that I'll go to heaven. Almost every time that I hear someone talk, and we say, why are you a Christian? So that I will go to heaven. Well, I'll tell you, being with God is a great blessing, or going to heaven is a great blessing of being in Christ. But that should not be the main motivation. If my main motivation for being a Christian is so that I won't go to hell, that's for me. If it's so that I will go to heaven, that's for me. My main motivation for being a Christian is so that God, the creator, is glorified and honored and put on, and, and put on the throne. And I worship him there. That's the reason I'm a Christian. And if that's the reason I'm a Christian... And heaven forbid, coronavirus hits my family, I am still faithful to God. And heaven forbid, coronavirus gets me and I end up in the hospital on a ventilator and die, I am going to be with that God. My motivation for being a Christian has nothing to do with what I get out of it. Now, I get incredible blessings from it. But when we decide that Jesus is Lord... It is about Jesus and not saying how much you're going to put in my tank. It is about Jesus being king. When that is the motivation, and I love these other things. I, believe me, I love not going to hell. I love being with God forever. But when I get my mind to that point, everything else in my life becomes easier because my chief priority is in the right place place that doesn't mean i don't struggle with this sometimes don't misunderstand me but that's where i'm aiming at all the time so my question tonight for us is why do i follow jesus are you watching tonight because your family turned it on and you feel like you got to are you watching tonight because well, there's just nothing on TV. There aren't any sports. Might as well watch David. Are you watching tonight because Jesus is Lord? And I just want to sing and honor my Father and honor, the, honor Jesus. And, and I want to give them praise and I want to hear more so that I can be closer to him. You see, there are a lot of different reasons to follow. But there are only a few reasons that Jesus accepts. I want to be one of those people that follow him because he is my Lord. So maybe you need to be baptized. Call me, text me, email me, put a message on Facebook tonight. We'll make that happen. If you need prayer, public or private, do the same things, we'll make it happen. Let's put God first. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you with all of our hearts. We want to love you with all of our hearts. But sometimes, Father, other things creep in. We all struggle. But Father, tonight we want to worship you and we want to be our plea that we worship you because you are God, because your Son is Savior. Not because we're seeing how many toys or blessings we can collect from you. 
although you do provide incredible blessings. But Father, we follow you because you are the creator of the universe. You are our Father. You let us call you Abba because you love us. Before we ever knew you, you already loved us. Thank you. We put you first. In Jesus' name, amen.